20 regions of Italy, each one is unique. And because of the history of Italy, regions were cut off from each other. People didn't travel from place to place historically. You read all the time about the businesses crying out for police protection. And, and then you hear this ridiculous, defund the police. That's Francis Mays, followed by Julie Blackwell. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. Now, you may remember the name Frances Mays. She wrote a book called Under the Tuscan Sun, and it was later made into a movie starring Diane Lane. She's written another book, and it's called Always Italy. What she said during the course of the interview, which I think you will enjoy, is that she learned a lot more about Italy than she thought she even knew prior to researching this book. Also, Julie Blacklow, a former King 5 TV reporter, but she was known for her great investigative reports. And I wanted to catch up with her and talk to her about what she felt was going on in Seattle and maybe how different it is than when she was covering the city a couple of decades ago. She also wrote a book called Fearless, Diary of a Badass Reporter. I hope everybody out there had a safe and sane 4th of July weekend. If you didn't set any fireworks off, you certainly qualify for being sane. Back with my interview with Francis Mays in just a moment. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. Frances Mays. She recently completed a lavishly illustrated book called Always Italy. The book is published by National Geographic and features all 20 regions of Italy, the best places to stay, eat, and tour. Now, why 20 regions of Italy? I actually didn't even know there were 20 regions, I guess like states or separate countries. But what she submits is that each region in Italy, all these 20 regions, are vastly different. They have their own wine, food, customs, etc. So again, it's like 20 countries within a country. That's what I would uh, gather from that. Miss Mays has written bestsellers, which includes Under the Tuscan Sun, that was made into a movie starring Diane Lane. And this movie loosely depicted Francis May's sudden move from the Bay Area to a villa near Cortona, Italy, which is the place I visited in about 2006. My first question, you've written numerous books on Italy, including Under the Tuscan Sun. Now, what is different or what were you trying to accomplish in this book? Always Italy was a huge research project for me. I went to all 20 regions of Italy, and I guess that's what's different. In my other books, I've been to a lot of Italy. Like my last book was See You in the Piazza. It was new places to discover in Italy. But this book, Always Italy, is each region of Italy. I traveled a lot, but much to my surprise, the places I hadn't been and had kind of put off going turned out to have some of the most surprising and immense pleasures that I have ever had traveling in Italy. What um, would be some of those places? Oh, I had been uh, to Sicily before, but I had never been to um, way south in Calabria, Basilicata, Molise, Abruzzo. I really didn't know the south as well, and I so fell in love with it. 
I think because I grew up in Georgia where it's hot, I have an affinity for a hot climate. But I just couldn't believe that I had never been to these places before once I got there. They offer, in, uh, in addition to all the great cultural things about the north and the central Italy, that all the art, they have their they have their great artists and architects too, but what amazed me the most was the architecture, the Baroque architecture. There's so much of it in the South because this huge earthquake shook everything down in the 18th century and had to be rebuilt in the Baroque style of the time. So that, particularly in uh, southern uh, Sicily and in Puglia, those uh, surprising buildings was something I never uh, had been that keyed into before. So much outdoor activity. Usually when you think of going to Italy, you think of all the culture, all the art, uh, history. But there's so much to do outside other than beaches and skiing, which Italy, of course, is known for. But uh, my co-author and I really researched a lot of the hiking trails in Abruzzo and Molise, the little hidden towns that you can hike from one to the other, even these small-scale little trains you can take, so many uh, opportunities for cycling. It was an eye-opener to me that there was a whole world out there of outdoor life that Italy is up there with any other country that you know you might want to go to for exploring the outdoors. Food is always a surprise because 20 regions of Italy, each one is unique. And because of the history of Italy, regions were cut off from each other. People didn't travel from place to place historically in Italy. If you were in the Papal States, you had to get a passport to leave your locale. So the result of that is these places stayed themselves. They had their own dialects, their own artists, their own foods, their own wines. And I think that is why Italy is the most varied country in the world. People still want to travel, but in the back of their minds, we're all nervous about traveling because of, you know, the virus and things. Are there places, let's say in Italy, that you would say, well, these are places that you could go to, not assuring 100%, but they'd be safer maybe from COVID, more isolated if that's on people's minds? Well, yes, you can look at them, a map of Italy and see where COVID is. In some regions, it's not, uh, you know, very strong at all. In my town, Cortona, I was there in uh, October, November, and the first part of December. We didn't have a single case in our town. There were cases in Tuscany, but uh, in our town, they never, uh, never took hold. People still um, were very, very observant of all the rules, and um, they were quite stringent, quite strict. You also mentioned yeah. a place that you called a really hot spot, I mean, literally, in terms of a new place that you wanted to mention. It's called Puglia. Puglia, yes. The old name Apulia, but it's known as Puglia now. It was a poor country. It's the heel of the boot, so water, water everywhere, beautiful beaches, turquoise waters. It was settled centuries ago by the Greeks, so there are a lot of these perched hill towns overlooking the sea that look like white sugar cubes. And you think you're in Greece there for a moment, and indeed in the provinces, uh, outer 
towns in some places in Puglia, there's still Greek words in the dialect, so that ancient heritage is still somewhat alive by various marauders that they built to live in these uh, masserie, these houses, fortified farmhouses. So many of those fortified farmhouses have become great places to stay. They're like oases in the country, and everything's in proximity to the sea. And it's a wonderful place to combine with, maybe if you've never been going to Rome, Venice, Florence, you have to see those places. I love Milano, Torino, you know, the cities going to explore the great cities of Italy. But then, if you possibly can when travel, leave some time for the countryside, because to me, that's where the heartbeat of Italy is felt most strongly, is the people still making their mozzarella, the uh, people still gathering the grains to make this golden bread in Puglia. Um, such a close-to-the-land experience. Um, I just love that area. Well, that's great. It makes me really want to go. And I wish we had more time. We have a hard deadline because I know you have a number of interviews to do. So I got about three minutes left. But just want to let you know, if I had more time, I'd talk about this. I was in Italy and uh, spent some time there in Cantona, actually. And uh, But one thing I oh. wanted to mention, because, again, we were almost out of time, is, you know, I started out going to St. Peter's, the uh, Basilica there, and seeing it and just blew me away. I thought I'd seen it, but I really haven't when you looked at it in magazines, and, and that's the whole thing that comes to you when you visit Italy. But I had been kind of, let's say, traveled out in the sense I've seen a lot of um, Duomos and a lot of structures, and I was getting towards the end of the trip, and we went to Florence and saw the Duomo there, and I remember coming around a corner, and it just absolutely floored me looking at this structure. Yes, it's an amazing stunning. structure. There's a wonderful book about it, Brunelleschi's Dome, because when they started to build this church, they had forgotten how to build domes. It had fallen out. It's how knowledge can... You can't imagine that it could happen, but it can disappear. They had forgotten how to build domes, and this book, Brunelleschi's Dome... Uh, talks about all the ways they tried to reinvent the dome. It's a fascinating book. And that church, it's its such a confection. It's like a big wedding cake. It's all white and pink and pale green. And just you can just walk around it over and over. Even if you have been in a million churches, you get to that one and it stops you in your tracks. Mm, I, I agree. Absolutely agree. It certainly did to me. Uh, anything else like in the book you want to close out with about who would be for and, and who should read this? I think it's while we're dreaming of travel, it's, it, I hope it takes you there and leads to places that you uh, underline and turn the edge of the page down on and say, I've got to go there. I've got to go there. There's a lot about uh, music and uh, film and books, so possibly it can lead you into other directions while you're in your armchair dreaming. The book is called Always Italy, and as Francis talked about, it covers the 20 regions in Italy. Now, in the interest of full transparency, I have not personally read the book, but I have viewed it on Amazon, and it looks like a 
really beautiful book. And one thing that did capture my eye is that it's reviewed very, very well. I mean, a lot of people gave it like four and a half, five stars. So I like how she ended the interview by saying, we can always dream because that's what we're doing right now. And hopefully sooner than later, we will all have the opportunity to travel and to visit that great country of Italy once again, or for the first time. I just want to make it clear to you all that I am not paid any promotional fees for like this interview or any other interview that I have on this show. It's strictly based on what I hope is of interest to you. And hopefully I'm hitting the mark. Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist. Emmy Award-winning Julie Blacklow and former journalist for King 5 Television from the early 1970s to the late 1990s is my guest. She went on to produce stories for national networks after that. I remember Julie very well from the King 5 days, and uh, I saw that she wrote a column on Marketing Northwest. It piqued my interest, so I followed up and had a discussion with Julie a short time ago. I asked Julie first, what brought her to Seattle, and how did she end up at King 5? Well, I was brought here by my then uh, husband, Richard Blacklow, uh, who took a job clerking for a judge. Uh, we were both from Washington, D.C., but he had just graduated law school and wanted to get as far away from his parents as he could. So he got a job in Seattle, and we migrated here and knew no one. And then um, one day, we went to a Dartmouth alumni reunion. Uh, that's where Richard had graduated from. And I met a young reporter uh, named John Lippman, who was working at King. He was all of about 26 years old, and I was 23. John gave me the name of the news director. I called and made an appointment. I had no experience, even though I'd gone to one of the greatest journalism schools in the country, Northwestern. I never took a J school course. So I knocked, I really just knocked on the door and uh, went into his office and sold myself and, and just said, you know, I, he was shocked that I had no experience, but I was a young woman uh, in the right place at the right time. And I told him I had great curiosity about everything. And I thought that was the best, the very best trait that any journalist could have. And I had learned how to write at Northwestern. What stories do you consider your biggest stories that maybe had the impact on the community you hoped it would or along those lines? Is there any stories that you remember that really jump out? One was about the kidnapping and mutilation of a young boy um, in Tacoma. And this was done by a sex offender who should never have been allowed out on the streets again. And anyway, to make a long story short, I covered the trial and interviewed the mother it was a harrowing story, and it very much upset uh, the whole state and the nation. It became a national story, too. Anyway, the end result was 
that as a result of this crime and my reporting and working with the prosecuting attorneys in Pierce County and the legislature, Washington State became the first state in the country to make uh, almost permanent the uh, incarceration of level three sex offenders, which this guy was. After that, Washington State passed that legislation. It subsequently became legislation in all 50 states. That that was one story that had a national impact. The other was a story about a 22-year-old man who killed and raped an 8-year-old child in Seattle on Capitol Hill. I covered that trial, too, although I became obsessed with finding out why. How could this happen? So we traced this young man's life from birth until he was uh, found guilty of her murder. The story ended up airing on the Today Show nationally, and that was an amazing experience. But as a result of that broadcast, NBC received many letters from parents who had seen the story and decided they recognized their own children in Michael Green. I realized then that the power of journalism. And you were really reporting the backdrop Seattle stories from, again, the early 70s till about 2000. And that was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a time of tremendous change in the city because I came to Seattle in the 60s, and that, to me, was just an amazing time. I mean, uh, the growth, you know, Microsoft in the mid-70s, then uh, Major League Baseball came back, the Seahawks came into existence, and, and so on. Did you have that feeling then about the city of Seattle and, and it was really hitting its stride at that time? Absolutely. I agree with you. I saw it as a, a small town when I first got here because I'd grown up in Washington, D.C. and New York. But Seattle seemed to me a real, a real jewel uh, as it started to grow. And I was happy to be part of the reporting profession so I could observe it. And, I, you know, there are a lot more. I mean, Nintendo, Starbucks, um, Eddie Bauer. You know, I, I covered all of those stories. I interviewed all the Nordstrom brothers. To see what's happening now is heartbreaking. And I know I'd be reporting what's happening now quite differently than what I'm seeing. Okay, let's get to that. It's been a complete breakdown in government. There seems to be a complete severance of those connections. In the 70s and 80s, when I did cover City Hall and I knew all of the council people and the county council people too, there were disagreements, but the focus was never lost on what the people needed or wanted or were demanding in more extreme cases. I remember the days of the city council, the the Sam Smith, the Jeanette Williams, Phyllis Lanthier, the mayors, the various mayors I knew, Norm Rice, Charlie Royer, um, Wes Allman, going back into the 70s. They were respectful. They all listened. This current council, uh, and uh, watching what's happened to the utter neglect of dealing with the homeless population and the causes, no one seems to be taking action. To see a mayor 
like Jenny Durkin, whom I know, and a police chief by Carmen Best, whom I know, leave, resign, is a real warning sign. And that tells me that the city council is dysfunctional. And to see these homeless encampments uh, rising up and taking over city parks, you have this ultimate clash between residents who have needs and should be respected and the homeless population who have needs and need to be heard also. I hear about millions being spent on homelessness, but I don't see any change. And I know that's the cry of many of my Seattle friends who do not understand. Now, I don't know if it's a function of age or a lack of experience. I'm all for young people getting involved. So I know the average age of the council is much younger than it used to be in the 70s and 80s. But that's not the issue. Many young people have the ability to listen. And I just get the sense from what my friends are saying and what I'm seeing that their inaction is causing a shocking degradation of this city. I was concerned when I saw the police uh, leave the East Precinct. That was wrong. That was not smart. Well, you know, it's really great to get your perspective because, again, you were covering, doing the beat during the time of what I saw, the great growth and just the optimism of the city. We certainly had our problems, but we had a series of really good mayors. And uh, as you mentioned, it, it just seemed to me that there was this community spirit. I just got finished uh, reading Norm Rice's book about community. It's a great book, by the way. But he mm-hmm. said in the book, it's so important to listen, to hear what people are saying. And one of the things that I've looked back at Norm Rice, and when he was elected, we had the city was was very divided because of school busing. And Doug Jewett was running against him, was for busing, um, and Norm was against doing away with busing. But he also said this is not the issue per se. We need to focus on the schools but I think it just goes to leadership and how the city was at that place in time. They ended up voting um, to end school busing very close, like 51 to 49 percent. But Norm Rice won the election 57 to 43 percent. Mm-hmm. People could distinguish mm-hmm. between leadership and trust in the individual. And I think Norm, more than anybody, as far as looking back at a mayor, was able to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Uh, he was look, it was a series of great mayors, just one after the other. You read all the time about the businesses crying out for police protection. And, and then you hear this ridiculous, defund the police. One comment when you talk about, let's say, Jenny Durkin, the mayor, and then Carmen Best, the police chief. Here's mm-hmm. like something you, again, head scratch, that you hear from the city council all the time about, you know, women of color and minorities being promoted and everything. And what's the first thing they do? Cut Carmen Best's salary by forty dollars or $50,000 a year. You go, yeah. what? There's so many wrong moves. Hey, Julie, this is wonderful. Um, before I go, I want to talk about your book, Fearless, 
Book Diary of a Badass Reporter. It is uh, a memoir of uh, growing up, uh, how coming into a profession I never planned on, surviving incredible uh, obstacles. Uh, no one's life, by the time they're in their 70s as I am, gets by you know without any suffering. I've had my share. I've had more of a share of good things happen. And so it's a story of a life and a story of survival surmounting things I never thought I'd have to deal with. Two-thirds of the book deals with a life in television news and the stories I covered, the good, bad, and ugly, and the very funny. It's a whole life's journey. And uh, looking back on it, which is what happens after you write a memoir, I think you go, how in the world did I survive all that? But I did. My thanks to Julie Blacklow, journalist and author of a book called Fearless, Diary of a Badass Reporter. You can order the book by emailing Julie at Julie, J-U-L-I-E, Blacklow, B-L-A-C-K-L-O-W, dot com. That's JulieBlacklow.com. In 1955, passenger airplanes were powered by propellers. Jets were still a few years away. Travel by air was accessible, but only to the privileged few. There was plenty of legroom, and not just in first class. The bubbly flowed, cigarettes lit up, all followed by an elegant meal served by female stewardesses. Men need not apply. Fast forward to today. Yes, passengers can be packed in like sardines, but it's faster, more affordable, and much safer than even walking. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My thanks to Francis Mays and Julie Blacklow for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. In addition to hearing Voices of Experience on KKNW on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock p.m. and on Wednesdays at 8 a.m., you can now listen to Voices of Experience on Kixie Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Who knows, you may be listening to Voices of Experience on Kixie right now. Any comments about what you heard today? Call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. Leave your comments about the show. If you would like me to get it on the air, please keep your comments short. Now, what is this show all about? Well, I'm going to tell you. People with experience in public affairs, travel, fitness, education, entertainment, adventure, with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. Now, what drives this show? My belief is that experience is our best coach. Seattle has a very important election coming up. We're going to do our part to try to shine a light on candidates for the city council and mayor. From what I see, there is one district in play for the Seattle City Council race, and that's District 9. We're going to invite those candidates to express their views, and then we'll jump into the mayor's race when it is clear who the final two candidates will be. And following this show, Lisa Downs hosts Reigniting You. Are you thinking of making a career change no matter what stage you are in life? Lisa helps you navigate through the challenges and opportunities that await you. Her show airs at 9.30 a.m. right after this program, Voices of Experience, on Kixie. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. And thanks for listening. Quote of the week, the sad truth is that most evil is done by people who never made up their minds to be good or evil. Hannah 
Aaron.